Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, before we get into privileges number three today, I do want to explain these little cards a little bit. They are in a bulletin on a seat around you. There's a lot of you in here today. It's awesome. But look, yeah. Look on a seat around you. There should be a little a pack of papers. This is one of them. It says privileges across the front. And I want to explain these a little today. But when we have series like these, where we get to talk a little about money and handling it well and, and honoring God with it well, we, we often have a lot of people who really want to do that, really want to make some changes and, and do things that we're talking about, but they, they're not sure how. Okay, this card explains how a little bit. It's simply for you to check a box, uh, put in the buckets, turn in at the serve desk. We're actually going to have a, a time of prayer and, and turning these in today at the end of service. But these are just some of the options that you have if you're, you're one of those that wants to make some of those changes. The thing is, I do know how hard money decisions can be. I do know that tithing for the first time can often feel like an incredible step of faith, just insurmountable leap of faith. And so I really do want to pray for you as you walk through that. I'd love to talk through that with you if you're interested in that, but, but really support you in that decision in any way we can. And so the first one on here is please pray for me as I consider tithing for the first time. But I also want you to know that that missions and the Freedom Foundation are opportunities that exist as well. We don't often get to talk about it, but uh, they are the, the second two options on that card. If you've been around Freedom Rally for a little while, you will know the names Johannes Amritzer and, and now probably Jeremiah Stoddart as well, Pastor Isaiah's brother. Uh, they are missionaries for Mission SOS, and we fully believe in this amazing organization, Mission SOS. They are based out of Stockholm, Sweden, but they minister to Africa. Their, their mission is really to see Africa saved. And they do these big crusades every summer. Aaron and I have been on a number of them now and just absolutely amazing. They're very good at what they do, which is spreading the gospel message. And so Mission SOS is one of the major, one of the main organizations that we support as a church, we support Jeremiah, we support Johannes, we support Mission SOS, and uh, we fully believe them. We back them 100%. I can't say that with every missionary organization, but we do with Mission SOS. And, and I want you to know it is a worthy cause, is what I'm trying to say. I give into missions. Every penny that you give into the missions fund here at Freedom Valley will go toward missions. And we even support a couple of local missions organizations for our area too in Adams County. They're doing amazing things. So that is one option. Uh, another one is the Freedom Foundation. The Freedom Foundation is another the, the third box on this card and it's yet another worthy cause. And it is specifically giving into this house, this church, even this, this building. Specifically this year, our mortgage payments come directly from that account. Right? If you're giving over and above your tithes into this, you are giving directly and specifically into keeping this place up and running, to paying down debt for our congregation. Right? This is for anyone who loves this place and calls it home. 
right? I'm not talking about just being a part of the church, but about equipping this body to minister out of this resource that we call a building, a, a parking lot, a, the bathrooms, all of it, right? All this building stuff that allows us to reach out into our community, invite them in, into this house. I've always had a heart for this house. And long before I was lead pastor, I had a heart for this house. I've basically grown up here, right? I win every contest that is like, how long have you been going to Freedom Valley? I win. I was five years old. My dad started this church, right? I always win that contest, but I've also formed so many relationships and friendships here. Heck, I was married on this stage, right? I dedicated my children here. I've received countless revelations from God around these altars and made friendships I will treasure forever. This place means a lot to me. These people mean a lot to me. The experiences I've had in this house mean the world to me. We, my family, give into the Freedom House for all of those reasons. Because I want to see this place succeed. I want to keep it as a church for long after I move on and and pass away or whatever. I want, I want to see it be something that lasts for generations. I give into these things because I believe in them. I give into the church, into missions, into the Freedom Foundation because I believe in them. If you don't believe in them, don't give into them. The Bible says don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I am happy to give. I get to give into this place that I call home. And honestly, I can't think of one reason to not believe in the church. And don't get me wrong, there are some bad ones out there, some really toxic, religious, grossly hypocritical, and pharisaical churches. But the healthy, the, the thriving church, imperfect, there is no perfect church. It doesn't exist because there are no perfect people, right? Imperfect but healthy church. It's something that's growing and thriving, led by humble, genuine people. There's no, there's no reason not to believe in it. Jesus created the church. He invented the word. The first time the word church was uttered in the Bible in reference to God's house was Jesus saying he created it to function together in harmony, to give to each other, to serve each other, to love one another and encourage each other. That's why he created it, so that we can lift each other up and go out into the world and change it with the message of the gospel. And a lot of us think that the church's mission is so I can come in and I can get changed. I get fed in this place. It's not actually the mission of the church the way Jesus set it up. We come in to get fed, yes, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to then go back out and change the world. The church is an avenue to change the world with the message of the gospel, not just you and I. It is meant to reach out. We are meant to be hope to the hopeless and a friend to the friendless. And, and that's exactly what it can be when each and every one of us use our gifts and our talents and our resources and abilities, our time and our energy, and we give in to this place. Which brings me to what I want to talk about today. And we, we talked about sacrifice last week, right? And how in the kingdom of God, there is a particular significance to sacrifice, when something is sacrificed, God responds. It is the pattern of the gospel that you can actually see everywhere when you start to look for it. 
At the end of every superhero movie, right, the hero sacrifices himself for the greater good, valuing the lives of others over himself or herself, right? Does that sound like anyone to you? But Jesus sacrificed himself for us. It's a story that we love to tell. We keep telling it, playing it out in different versions over and over throughout culture. We love to hear it because Jesus meant sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for us. And we just keep seeing this pattern of the gospel reverberating throughout the, the centuries and cultures. What I mean is sacrifice and love to the degree of the gospel that the Son of God would come into our mess, this mess of a world, and give his life for ours. It's an amazing thing. Sacrifice and love to that degree requires response. It just does. When you understand it truly in the depths of your soul, you have to respond. That's why the gospel is so powerful. And you can really grasp it. It requires response. And yet, there are Christians all over the world that have accepted this truth, or say they do, and then do nothing with that information. Right? That, that, that you have been set free, brought back from the dead, that you've been given your dignity back by God Almighty himself, and yet do nothing with that information. <laughs> We go back, we, we hold it selfishly all to ourselves. And it sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, but we all do it to some degree. We all return to the muck here and there, to the very things that we've been set free from by Jesus. Like sometimes it happens slowly with little excuses, little allowances here and there. Sometimes it's a quick, selfish decision made in the moment. But spiritual health is one of those things that requires constant maintenance. Constant maintenance. Otherwise, we, we quickly lapse into this apathy, this insincerity. The human experience is so forgetful. Like, by the time we walk out the doors today, we've forgotten half of the decisions that we want to make as I'm talking. Right? We, we forget so quickly and easily. And this isn't just true of us today, but of God's people for millennia. In fact, today we're going back through history, about 2,500 years, give or take, to see where Israel did just that. And we think of Israel, I think of Israel after studying them for years, that I think of them as this ungrateful, forgetful people. God keeps bailing them out over and over and over again. And they forget so quickly. They get set free only to be lured back into this spiritual apathy. They, they get abundantly blessed only to turn around and trade it for a cheap counterfeit. And they, they've been given another chance, a 50th chance, only to return to the muck. The gospel requires action. Requires that we must give something in return. It's a human nature to want to give something back when, when someone or something has been sacrificed. I think it's a little bit part of our nature anyway, because it is a part of God's. We're made in his image after all. And so we're going to read a story today that is from the book of Haggai. I say it Haggai, Isaiah. I noticed you say it differently. Everybody say Haggai. It doesn't really make sense, though, because the vowels are flipped, but that's how I say it. Haggai occurs 
about 70 years after the Babylonian exile is over. So the people, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel have returned to their homeland, at least the ones that wanted to, have returned to their homeland. The Persians now rule, and they allow any Israelite who wants to return to return, to go home. And so some of them do, and 70 years have passed since they've been home. 70 years. People have returned. The, the land is starting to be not in ruins anymore. They've rebuilt a thing or two, but they haven't rebuilt everything yet. And God here is sort of calling them to task on a few things. So we're going to read Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Everybody say Jehozadak. Say Zerubbabel. That's just a fun one to say. So there, this is a message to the prophet. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The people are saying the time has not yet come. Obviously, this is a conversation God and his people have had before, right? The people are still saying the time has not yet come. When is the right time to be obedient? When is the right time to rebuild the house of the Lord? If this is a conversation God and his people have had before, when is the right time? It reminds me of something Pastor Marv, some of you will remember Pastor Marv. He used to say that delayed obedience is not obedience. Delayed obedience is not obedience. And I will tell you, it's taken me some years of being not a teenager anymore to realize what that means. Delayed obedience is not obedience. If I tell my kids to go empty the dishwasher and they wait five hours to do it, have they been obedient? Mothers will understand this, right? <laughs> Delayed obedience is not obedience. When is the right time to be obedient? If not immediately, when? I mean, we do this all the time. They hear these people are saying, not yet, God. We're going to do it. We'll get to it. Just not yet. We do this with God all the time. And people especially will do this with tithing. And my dad used to always say that tithing is one of the last spiritual disciplines most people get. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people are all in from the beginning, immediately start doing it. But a lot of us, we say, God, not yet. I'll do it, just not yet. Or we, we do it in relationships. When I find the right man, when I find the right person, then, then we'll start going to church. We'll all go to church together and we'll raise our kids right. Or, or when my kids are older, or when my kids are out of soccer, then we'll make God a priority. Later. Not yet, God. We give God all kinds of excuses about why we can't obey him now. Why we can't yet obey him. And it's, for me, it always comes back to, why am I serving the church? Right? 
Am I doing it out of my own selfish ambition? Am I doing it because it feeds me? And I don't, I, I'm good right now. I don't need it right now. Or am I doing it for others? Haggai 2, 14 says, they do it with selfish attitudes and evil hearts. These people in this book, they had put everything else in front of God. It's not that they were necessarily bad. They weren't saying God will never build the temple. We're never going to get to it. They just said, not yet. Not yet, God. But their houses were built 70 years ago, right? Their farms were built. Their businesses were built. The town squares, the system of government. I mean, we had a king. All that was built. (laughs) When? When is the right time? They had put their own desires and interests first, and then they wondered why God wasn't having it. They neglected the building of God's house, put it off that they might have time and money for their own secular affairs. I don't know about you, but this convicts me a little bit. And I've said the same to God before. And when I get my act together, God, that's I'll start... For sure, when when I get that raise, when I get that promotion, when I get that new job, then I'll start honoring you with what I have. God not only cares about the fact that we do obey, he cares about our motives when we obey. He cares about why you obeyed. The problem is, when when we look at obedience to God as this drag, like this downside to serving him, Everything's good except that God's asking me to give up this or God's asking me to give up that. I just, I can't bring myself to do it. It's, It's too much. God, you're asking too much. Then we start to procrastinate. I'll get to it. It's hard. And God, you're so harsh. How could you ask for too much? It doesn't benefit me in any way. And we start to look at obedience to God as this inconvenience and in reality it's a privilege to be obedient to a God who knows more about me than I know about myself a privilege to be able to surrender my life to somebody who does have it all together because Lord knows I don't right I don't I feel I'm fully an adult now right but anybody any actual adults in here feel like an adult 100% of the time The further you get into it, the more you realize you don't understand and you need help, right? But to be able to give up some of that control to a God who does know everything, it is a privilege. It's a privilege. I have to be able to look at it that way. God wanted to bless his people through his house. They were missing out on blessings from him, and yet they saw it as a drag to have to build a temple. God, I don't, we'll, we'll get to it. We're not done building our stuff yet. And God's like, I just want to bless you through my house. Uh, you're missing out on what I have for you. And they couldn't see it. Instead of rejoicing in the goodness of God and how much he loves them, they complained that God was trying to give them blessings. Don't you think God knows what's best for you? Don't you think he knows better than you do? He created you, after all. Knows humanity better than we know ourselves. But verse (laughs) 3, 
Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Anybody know that feeling? Disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. You fill up your gas tank only to feel like it's just disappearing. It's leaking out. There must be a hole in it, right? Your wages disappear. God says, look at what is happening to you. Look at it. Examine it. Where are you spending your time and energy? If it's not first in a place that is godly, something is wrong. God's trying to bring their attention to something is wrong. Are you putting your things, your your time, your energy, your money in a place that is accumulating good things from you or in places that are stealing from you? If it's not first on God, the rest might be wasted anyway. God isn't, isn't being vindictive here. He's just saying, look at what's happening. You're not trusting me. You're trusting in everything else, and it's not working out for you. I do want to bless you. I want to make it so your, your wages don't disappear. I want to make your crops produce more than enough for you. You got to trust me, and I will take care of you. Put first things first. I get... I want to say I get frustrated with people sometimes, but I really do understand the, the hang-up with, with tithing. It seems like such a big step, but sometimes I just want to shake people and say, look, sin wants 100% from you. Sin wants 150% from you. Sin wants everything from you and more to the point that you're, how did Latina put it the other week, broke, busted, and disgusted? Right? That's what sin wants from you. God only asks for 10%. And then he wants to give you more than enough. Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you can't even contain it all, Malachi said last week, right? That's what God wants to give you. 10% is nothing when you see it that way. Sin wants way more than 100%. There's this book that's called um, Too Busy Not to Pray. We often give these excuses to God. I'm just too busy to sit down and to focus and to, to really pray. No, you're too busy not to pray. Right? You need a prayer in your life to set the rest of it in order. I don't know about you, but I'm too busy not to pray, and I'm too broke not to tithe. I need it. I need God to order my finances. And when I honor him first, he does. He does. Too broke not to. Too busy not to pray. Too busted not to praise. Too lost not to read my Bible. I have to do these things. Life would swallow me whole without the spiritual disciplines. I would be utterly lost without Jesus and his teachings. I would. When I look at it that way, it's, it's not an inconvenience to obey. It's a privilege. It is an honor that God has given me this handbook, this manual, this instruction book for life. I need it. Like the air that I breathe, I need it. When we experience lack in our lives, 
We should be seeing it as this, this opportunity to return to the genuine worship of God. We should be seeing it as some sort of trigger in our soul. Right? God is saying, look at what's happening. And when I feel this, this lack in any part of my life as a follower of Jesus, I need to look at it, examine it. God, why am I experiencing lack in this area? What am I not honoring you with? How can I get this back in line? Because God does provide when we obey. He does. I love to say that obedience breeds passion. Obedient people in the kingdom of God are passionate about it. Find anybody who tithes. Ask anybody in your life this week, do you tithe? If they do, I bet you they are passionate about it because they have seen it work. It's not polite conversation to talk about money, so we don't talk about it nearly enough. But when people tithe, they have seen it work. There's no going back after that. Passionate about it. I've never met a non-passionate, a dispassionate tither. I just haven't. They're passionate about it because they've seen it work. God is so abundantly good when we obey. But just like last week, we have to start to see ourselves as stewards, managers of things rather than owners. We can't see ourselves as owners of our things because we're not, right? The Bible says our, our life is but a vapor. We're here for a moment and gone the next. We are managers of all of the things that we have. We have to see ourselves that way. When we are lacking, sow more seed. Give more things. Ask God, well, what is missing in your life? Start to honor God with that thing. Tithe with it. (laughs) The principle works in more ways than just money. But also start accounting for every penny. Budget. We talked about being a steward of God. That that means being a good manager of all things, not just that 10%. Be a good steward, a good manager. Manage God's things well. Because why would God give you more things when you're not being a good manager of what he's already given you? I used to have this purple Jeep. I talk about it occasionally. It's, it was horrible. I hated it. it. The paint was chipping on the outside. It didn't have heat. <sighs> I just hated this thing. And we, we gave it away three times. It kept coming back. Both of our brothers drove it for a while. We gave it to a friend. It kept coming back to me. But it was always in, in like a time that I needed it. Like I was between vehicles or something happened. I had to drive this stupid thing. And I cursed it all the time. I said things like that. This dumb Jeep. I hate it. I wish I didn't have to drive it. And I didn't take care of it. It was a mess all the time. I didn't value it, right? So, so one day Aaron said, you complain about this thing all the time, but it's been good to you. Why would God give you more if you're not going to pick up the trash on the ground? Why would God give you more if you're not going to take care of the little blessing he has given you? Yeah. Ouch. He's very good at keeping his cars clean, by the way. We, have a lot, we all have a lot to learn from him in this area, but he was right. Why would God, there's this principle in the word, it's all over the word, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. Right? Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Why would God give you a little when you can't even take care of a little? 
Why would he give you more? What he's saying is that the time to prepare is now. Right? The time to be obedient isn't later. It's now. We, we become these gluttons. Hey, we spoiled rotten brats laying on our couch of blessings. We just want more and more. We become these consumers in God's kingdom. We consume and discard and consume and discard and we move on to the next thing. God's trying to get us to look at what's happening. Look at it. Examine it. Don't get addicted just to the blessings of God, but to the God who gave us the blessings. Church is one of those blessings. God's house, once a week, is meant to remind us of who gave us those blessings in the first place. Taking a Sabbath, I think, is a concept we're going to talk about next week. Taking a Sabbath, taking one day out of the week to look at what God is doing, to take a step back, to not work and push and grind so much. Really trust him with your things. Even in Jesus' day, they were abusing the Sabbath. They were using it as this power grab over people. We're going to talk more about that next week. can't get ahead of myself. Verse 7, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. He says that a number of times throughout this book. And I do think it's important. Everything that God says is important, right? But he's saying, look at what's happening. Examine a few things. Pick it up. Look at it. What is going on here? Now is the time, not later. How are you handling God's things? What needs to change? What is your attitude about the things that you have, about the blessings that you've been given? So often when the Holy Spirit convicts me, he doesn't outright tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't know if this happens for you all or not, but he just sort of leads me to examine the outcome. Right? And maybe he does nudge me, and I'm, I've been ignoring it for a while. Right? But then I, I, and pride comes before a fall, so I fall. And I'm like, oh, God, what happened? How could you allow this to happen? Right? And God's like, did I allow it or did you? And look at the outcome. Trace that back through your decisions. And maybe we find something we need to clean up. Right? This is the way that God tends to convict me. Like, is this working for you? Is it good? Is the outcome good? Right? Is it the outcome you were hoping for? No? Okay, then maybe let's fix it. Let me help you fix it. Right? Verse 8. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's fine. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. Ouch. When we don't self-discipline, God has to discipline. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. 
When they heard the words from the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, sent the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. The people in this short book of the Bible had forgotten God in their daily lives. The Old Testament people had a tough time with this in general. But the church of today is no different. The church, I said, not the world. The church is no different. God wasn't angry with them in this case for being out and out wicked. They weren't breaking all God's commandments. They weren't worshiping other gods necessarily. They just lacked enthusiasm for his house. God is saying to them, how is it right that you live in luxurious houses, but you're too lazy to build a nice house for me? You care more about your own lives than about being with me, about building my temple. Not taking time out to build the temple means you don't trust me at all. Verse 14. So, The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. Notice that the Lord sparked enthusiasm. The Lord sparked enthusiasm, and I believe that is what God is doing right now with us. Sparking enthusiasm. I notice he began with the leaders. He sparked the enthusiasm of the leaders first, and then it trickled down. I've got this, always had this passion burning in my soul for Freedom Valley. I heart my church. I love this place. And I can't wait to, to serve our community and to, to do all the things the church is supposed to be doing. But we all have to be enthusiastic about it for it to work. We all have to build the church, the lighthouse for our community. Today, God's temple is each and every one of us. We have to have a heart for it. The way to build it is to spread his love. And there are no reasons not to believe in the house of God. In fact, there are, I've just began writing down reasons to love, invest in, give to, work hard at, and to give your energy to the church. Number one, it is the organized avenue for spreading the message of Jesus Christ. You are here today. You probably have received the message of Jesus Christ in your own life and are grateful for it, right? It's meant to be spread, to be passionate about, and the church is an organized venue to do that. Number two, it's active and intentional about making its members better people. How many organizations do you know that do that? Number three, and this is specific to Freedom Valley, but we are vibrant, passionate, and selfless, and we exist to spread the gospel message. It's our identity given to us from God as a church. And that passion has to begin here. We've got to be obedient because obedience sparks passion. Passion spurs more obedience. It's cyclical. And and I also believe that we are, we're called to appreciate the people who give 
their entire lives to the church, the people that you all call pastors, but also the staff who serve the pastors and, and do so to the best of their ability. Now, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, but it should be every month, right? To appreciate those who give into it shouldn't just happen once a year. I tell all prospective staff members, look, coming onto staff does not mean you get to do all the fun jobs. In fact, <laughs> it means you get to do all the jobs no one wants to do. All the jobs that volunteers leave behind when they leave early and you're staying behind, right? You have to, uh, the Bible says, <clears throat> trying to think of the exact wording, but we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? So it's all of the jobs behind the scenes so that when the saints show up, the volunteers, the people of the church, they get to do the ministry. Someone's got to equip them, right? Someone has to do all the jobs no one wants to do. That is the staff here. It's their jobs to do those things. They have to show up early and stay late, and they get less recognition than Aaron and I because they're in the background. They're hardworking to do that. And the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for them. Appreciate them. Love them for equipping you to do that work. Because the kingdom of God is so often upside down from our way of thinking. It doesn't make sense to our natural way of thinking Prospering is a little upside down, too. And the book of Haggai teaches us, if we expect God to bless us, we have to be obedient. And our gain isn't going to, to come from us working harder than everyone else, but rather serving more than everyone else. It's going to come from saving, and it's not going to come from saving and being stingy and holding all these things, but, but loving more, being more generous. It's going to come from us trusting God with, with a good offering, with the whole tithe, not just part, and from giving in to the house of the Lord. What I want you to see to the, today is that it starts with the church. It's meant to. Even back in Haggai, it was meant to start with the temple, the house of the Lord. This sermon is called Heart for the House because having a heart for the house of God is important to the heart of God. He wants that for his people. In fact, can, can you really say that you are one of his people without having a heart for his house? Without giving anything into the house of God, without serving your brothers and sisters in Christ somewhere. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Meaning we have no credibility in sharing the gospel with the world if we're not loving each other first and well. This sermon bridges that gap between our salvation and the world's. Our world's here, Adams County, the people that we see at work in school every day. This sermon makes sure that when we are set free, we're not going to be lured into this spiritual apathy. That when we are abundantly blessed, we're not going to just trade it for a cheap counterfeit. And make sure that we're given another chance, a 50th chance, like the nation of Israel, not to return to the muck. That we've been saved for a reason. That we really can love each other the way that Jesus loved us. And allow God to take us even further. As Aaron comes... You know, Jesus didn't teach a lifestyle that was compartmentalized. Church over here, 
family over there, work over there. He taught a lifestyle that was all-encompassing. The gospel should trickle down into every part of your soul, your finances, your health, your home, the way that you entertain yourself, the way that you parent, the way that you are a spouse and a friend. The gospel is everything. It's all of it. He taught a lifestyle that was all-encompassing. I believe God is has been, and will continue to challenge you through this series. I know because he's already challenging me and my family. I made a commitment to you all when I first took the position here that I go first. I'll go first. If I'm challenging you to do something, I'm not going to not do it too. (laughs) I'll do it first. Aaron and I are, are... currently living in a commitment we made last year to do more. Give more of ourselves, more for our community, more for kids in our community that are hurting and broken. We want to be that lighthouse in the storm, a a city on a hill for our community. And now that we're in it, it's hard, (laughs) y'all. I'm just saying, I'm not saying serving God is easy. I'm saying we'll go first. And when I'm challenging you to step up, to give more, to serve more, to love each other more, just know that I've done it first. Our love for each other starts here as the church. If you love your church, love it sacrificially. Love it with your tithes. Love it with serving, with your gifts and talents. Love it with your time. Love it even when you don't feel like it. Having a heart for the house, it's, it's not like having some sort of like school pride, like manufactured pride in the place that you go every Sunday. It's, it's about having a heart for his house. A heart for the place that people come when they're hurting, when they're broken when they have nowhere else to turn. My heart for the place that keeps the main thing the main thing. The place that lifts the name of Jesus. The place that gives hope to the hopeless, that that frees the captives. A place that is truly counter-cultural, not selfish and out for themselves. God takes issue when you take the freedom that he gives and you keep it all to yourself. Don't do that. If you already tithe and give into the church, Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. But you should also look for ways to to give love and show mercy. I'd let this be a reminder to you about why you do it, but also a reminder to not just let it be a ritual. Let it be real. Like we get to give. We have an amazing church. We get to have an amazing church to come to and to worship freely, vibrantly, passionately. Look for more ways to love it, to give into it, to care deeply about God's house. Ways that go beyond just finances. Because God's not after your money. He's after your heart. Today I'm going to ask you to put a little thought and energy into this. 
And instead of just walking out today and letting it go one ear and out the other, we're going to sit and consider for a few moments. Look at this card, right? Get this card out and really ask God, are you asking more of me? What are you asking of me? Maybe it's not on this card, but God is asking something. Step up and serve. Give more. Sacrifice your time and your energy in some way. There are three options on the back of these cards for you to consider today. I do, I'm asking, truly consider. Pray, prayerfully consider. Ask God. If he's asking you to give into his house, search your heart for what he's saying to you today. Isaiah is actually going to put out some buckets across the front. If you fill this out, check a box. I would love to pray for you in this. I know how hard it can be at first to make a new decision like this. I would love to pray for you. You can come and put it in one of these buckets. But I'm going to ask Aaron to, to sing a little while we take a moment. Just listen to God today. I truly ask for what he is asking for you. Just listen. Say, God, what are you asking of me right now? And listen. Listen, if you make a decision, write your name on the card, bring it back up to the, the buckets. This is an important moment. And sometimes we really do, we have to do something to solidify it in our hearts. I, I can't tell you how many times I've made a decision in a church service to change something, but I walk out the doors, don't think about it past that day, right? Writing it on a card, committing it to someone and putting it in a bucket would help me remember to do something about it. Like, this isn't for anyone else to see. It's just to make that decision in your soul. Tell God you're not going back. Make a heart decision. Can we do that together today? Bow your heads. <clears throat> Close your eyes. Get alone with God. Father, Today, I just ask that hearts would be opened in this place today. But these last three sermons, tough though they may be to hear, God, we, I just ask that it would fall on good soil, that our, our hearts would be open and ready to receive. God, take us to the next level of obedience with you. God, as we sit here and consider today, as we, we sing, so will I you would just begin to, to mold hearts and minds, that you would convict us where we need convicted, encourage us where we need encouraging. Speak, Father. We are listening. Take that time right now and just pray. So I'm not um, a speaker. That's our job. But I'm listening to this message and I'm just thinking, um, I looked at all the hands that said they feel like their wages just go through their pockets. How many of that was you? Raise your hand right now. How many of you call yourself believers? Okay. God doesn't make us be obedient. That's not how he works. It's a relationship and we get to choose to love him to choose to be obedient and that goes with our money too and because our, our money is tied to our hearts in a big way where you where you give where you spend your money that's where your heart is 
so God's not going to bless you if you're not making him number one. Um, he's, he's not going to just pour into your bucket, let's just say it that way, if you're not willing to give it to him first. Um, and I think about, like, no one in particular, just Christians in general, and, like, they're always the first to say, well, God doesn't bless me. I don't hear from God. I haven't heard from God in a long time. You know, this person gets this job or this well-paying job or new car or whatever it is, insert item. But when's the last time that you were obedient? You know, it's not about what they get. It's about your heart. Like Candace said, where, you, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Our treasure as believers needs to be in God and to, and to pour into this house. This is where this is where we equip you to go out and be the world changers. So I'm just sick of Christianity being synonymous with complacent. So let's stop being complacent and, and complaining about what we don't have and what God hasn't blessed us with. Let's be obedient and see what God does for us. I'm going to sing this song and just look at those cards and don't be complacent. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark and blessed out the wonder of light And as you Billy 
creatures catching breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature, so will I I can see your heart and everything you say Every painted sky is a canvas of your grace If creation still obeys you, so will I Come on, let's stand together and sing So will I So decisions truly be able to say so will I and break our hearts for what breaks yours even when that is the most dangerous prayer dangerous to our, our comfort dangerous to our budgets dangerous to our ways of life sometimes but God truly break our hearts for what breaks yours let us go out into the world with fresh eyes that we would see it as a missions field I see each and every person as precious in your sight. And even if it, it breaks our plans for how life should go, let us give sacrificially into it. Change us from the inside out, God. And most of all, let us see obedience to you as a privilege. That we would willingly cheerfully, gratefully bow our knee to the name of Jesus and everything that he asks of us, no matter how hard it is. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for giving 
your life for us, for modeling sacrifice. You are not a God who asks us to sacrifice things without having first done it yourself. You gave your life for me, for each and every one of us. Thank you. I praise you. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, giving everybody a moment to just consider. I don't want to leave here today without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I can tell you it is worth it. So worth it. Say yes. Surrender your life to him. Give it all to him. Let Jesus be the boss, the Lord of your life. Starting today. If that's you and you're in this room, would you just raise your hand? I want to give Jesus my life. I'm into this life of following him. Raise your hand up high if you're here in the room. If you're watching online, text the number on the screen. You can write I'm in in the comments. We'd love to help you with that decision today. Amen. For the rest of us, The lesson here today is that God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants a lot more than your money. He wants your heart. He wants everything from you and for you. More than you could ever ask for or imagine, he wants for you. God is for you, not against you. He is with you. He is real, he is good, and he loves you so much. It is such a privilege to honor him in whatever way that he asks. That's the message we leave here with today. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.